Welcome to the Work and Wonder podcast. In this podcast, I share spiritual insights gained from my studies. I'm a faithful member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and use the Book of Mormon as my primary study material. I'll also reference the Bible and other scriptures, talks, or resources that I find helpful. My goal is to share simple, short and sweet messages that build faith and inspire changes in our lives that bring us closer to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Work and Wonder podcast. I am actually recycling my church talk that I gave today, and I'm making it into a podcast episode. Since I spent some time preparing that this week, I thought, well, I may as well just do a podcast episode on it. So this week, you guys are going to get that, and uh, it's about the light of Christ, how to shine our light to the world. A uh, good topic, so I think you guys will appreciate it. And again, I'm going to go on the shorter side, kind of like last week. Let me know how you guys like this. I am very open to feedback and suggestions. So let's start out talking about the Book of Mormon. Jesus Christ appeared to the Nephites here on the American continent. And what did he teach them? Well, he taught them lots of things. But among those things, he told them, Hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. You know, Christ is really good at using metaphors, right? He taught them parables and used metaphors all throughout his teachings. And I think they serve a great purpose. For one, they are applicable to multiple contexts. But uh, one thing that makes them kind of difficult sometimes is that they're difficult to understand and they seem pretty abstract at times. Now, this uh, commandment he gave us to hold up your light to the world that it may shine or that it may shine unto the world can sound a little abstract. It sounds good on paper, right? That sounds nice. Yeah, let's be lights to the world, let's shine. But what, what does that actually mean in concrete language? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. So, uh, first let's think about those words, light and shine. What does it mean to be a light? Well, one experience in the Book of Mormon that the Nephites had soon after that commandment was given is that they were praying and following instructions for prayer. And this was a very sacred experience that was uh, at or near the Bountiful Temple, if I remember correctly, for the Nephites. And Jesus was directing them how to pray, and it says, Jesus blessed them as they did pray unto him. And his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. And behold, they were as white as the countenance and also the garments of Jesus. And behold, the whiteness thereof did exceed all the whiteness. Yea, even there could be nothing upon earth so white as the whiteness thereof. That's in Third Nephi 19, verse 25. So the... A description that is given there, I believe, by Mormon is very articulate. He's saying that this is the most pure white that you could, you can't even imagine it. He said it did exceed all the whiteness. And that's very unique language, and I'll refer back to that later. But anyway, the Nephites literally shined his lights to the world while they followed Christ's instructions here. And his countenance smiled upon them, it says. Interesting language. So when we love and follow Christ with passion in our lives, his light will be manifest through us, maybe not in such an apparent way as with the Nephites, but surely others will notice. Okay, let's talk about holding up your light now, or shining up, sure, shining that light. So when we love and follow Christ with passion, we'll want to share our light, and it'll often come naturally if we've got that love for it and that passion. Let me give a few examples. So Lehi, in the Book of Mormon, he's the the main father of the first family who migrated over here to the promised land of the American continent by being led by God. 
Anyway, he had a dream while they were still journeying in the wilderness before they had left, totally left Jerusalem. And in that dream, he saw a tree which had fruit on it that was also described as a very white fruit. And it said it was, um, he it said he described it as being white to exceed all the whiteness, which is interesting that it's the exact same uh, phrase there that we took from the description of the the countenance of the people who were praying to Jesus during his ministry, uh, exceed all the whiteness. And that's kind of a unique phrase. So I think maybe Mormon was referencing this passage when he was describing the Nephites' experience there. So anyway, as soon as Lehi partook of this white fruit, his soul was filled with exceedingly great joy, and he began to be desirous that his family should partake of it also. There's another story in the Book of Mormon about Enos. Enos was the son of Jacob, and he Jacob was very righteous, obviously, and Enos had to go through his own conversion. He said one day he was hunting beasts in the forest, and he started thinking about eternal life, the joy of the saints, and all the things that his father had taught him. And he said, My soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. All the day long did I cry unto him. Yea, when the night came, I still did. I still raised my voice high that it reached the heavens. So Enos was praying all day and all night, which is a very long prayer. And in response to that, God spoke to him saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. Uh, God then explained, because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before, before heard or seen, thy faith hath made thee whole. That's in Enos 1, verse 8. So after that, Enos then recounts, When I had heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, the Nephites. Wherefore, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. So that's amazing. I think you, know, you could consider if someone wins the jackpot in the lottery, right? Which I guess we shouldn't be gambling. But anyway, if someone did win the jackpot or some great prize, who thinks of others you know, immediately? Or do you start thinking of the things you could buy? Because I know with myself, I've got this long list of things that I would want to buy if I got a ton of money or a great gift. But maybe it's the nature of the gift Enos got, or maybe it tells something about his heart. But after he was forgiven and got this great gift of grace and forgiveness from God, he immediately started thinking about his brethren, the people who were close to him that he loved, that he wanted to share this with. So, um, by loving and following Christ with passion in our lives, we receive light and naturally desire to hold it up or to share it with the world or those nearby us that we love. Let's talk about gaining that light now. As members of God's restored church, if you are a member, and if you're not, then uh, I'm, I guess I can still speak to you, but anyone who receives light from God, we should be concerned with sharing that light to the world. It can be stressful and difficult to do this at times, sure. Um, perhaps we can get caught up in worrying about how, where, and when to share the gospel and whether this is, should be with neighbors or family or co-workers. But if you just kind of forget those stresses and worries for a little bit and focus on gaining a deep love for Christ, your desire and effort to hold up his light will naturally follow, just as it did with Lehi and Enos. Even the sons of Mosiah, another example from the Book of Mormon, they were once rebellious and wicked and they actually tried to destroy the, the church of Christ. But they experienced a dramatic conversion. And after that, they it says they were striving to repair all the injuries which they had done to the church, confessing all their sins, publishing all the things which they had seen, and explaining the prophecies and the scriptures to all who desired to hear them. 
So it makes you start to wonder, you know, does this just happen to everyone who becomes converted, truly converted? Is that just part of the process? You just share it with people? Uh, yeah, I kind of think that is the process. Can you be truly converted without desiring so passionately to share that with others that that doesn't happen? So I think that worries and stress related to sharing the gospel are just overwhelmed by passion for God and the gospel when you're daily feasting on the words of the scriptures and seeking God in prayer. Now, this isn't to say that the gospel doesn't require intention. You, you definitely have to have intention and make direct effort to share the gospel and to be a light to others at times, sure. But a lot of times, the, the kind of light that you share with others that, that people notice may not be intentional. It may be just you at a grocery store and someone sees the way you respond to the, the way your child asks you a question or maybe the way your coworker sees you answer a controversial question from another coworker. You know, you might not even notice it at the time, but people are watching you. And if you have light in your life, that light will shine. I think one problem I've had with this, a difficulty is that Acknowledging this, the fact that a lot of times your light can be shown to people in a kind of inadvertent or unintentional way can sometimes be used as a cop-out to say, well, then I don't need to try because if I just live the gospel, people will notice. Well, no, I think it's a combination. You do need to try, but also always be living your life in a way that people will notice. All right, so Elder Nash, who is an apostle, he gave a talk in last general conference, the October 2021 general conference. And he gave two experiences of missionary work he did. One of them was with an atheist in an airport that he met. And another one was in the airport as well uh, from Nigeria, I think. He met another man that he shared the gospel with. And that latter man actually ended up getting baptized and he met him a couple years later and embraced him at the airport. Anyway, so it's cool stories that he gave, but one thing that stood out to me when he was telling these stories is that they're very different scenarios. I guess they're kind of the same because they're both at airports, but different people, different circumstances, different beliefs and backgrounds that they're coming from. And yet his responsibility was the same. In fact, what he says is for both of them, my responsibility, my opportunity was the same. Hold up the gospel light to love, share, and invite each of them in a normal, natural way. So I take from this the lesson that we shouldn't inhibit God's ability to work through us with anyone from anywhere in whatever circumstance. Don't shy away from sharing the gospel just because you reason that a person isn't ready for the gospel or doesn't want the gospel. That's not your job to judge that. Uh, God is the true judge and he knows the hearts of people. So our job in every circumstance is to be a light and not, like I said, inhibit those opportunities because of what we think about the person. I remember one story that uh, a friend of my wife's um, who's in our ward, she's an awesome woman, and she told a story about how she got called as a ward missionary or something. Anyway, she she had a reason to be more focused on missionary work, and she was just so stressed out and bombarded at the time with lots of things going on in her life that, as I recall, she she said she was just kind of feeling a little sarcastic at the extra duty to share the gospel. And so to respond with that sarcasm and uh, I don't know if it was in a sulking way, but she she got out of the car and she saw her neighbor and said, hey, would you like to hear about this you know, gospel and had a pamphlet or something? And 
She was kind of saying it sarcastically, but as she told this story, surprisingly, she said her neighbor looked at her sincerely and said, you know what? I have always wanted to know more about your church. And, and she ended up being taught, and I, I can't remember if she got baptized or not. But it's kind of a funny story because, you know, I'm sure that this uh, this woman that I'm referring to didn't think that her neighbor was even interested remotely and maybe had never addressed this before um, topic of the church. Yet she was ready. And I think that happens to us so often. We just have these judgments and thoughts that come up and, uh, you know, we judge whether we think the person is ready, but God is the true judge. Okay, so just to expound on what I've just said, this principle, um, I'm going to give several examples of people who, you know, the outsiders may or may not think they're ready for the gospel. And you'll see that all of them, in fact, did become converts. So the first one is a Muslim couple who were refugees who fled Iraq and moved to the United States. And for sake of security, of course, I'll, I'll keep their names secret and confidential. But uh, yeah, the father smoked and they only sp spoke Arabic. But I met them when I was on my mission. And they ended up getting baptized. Someone in our ward knew how to speak Arabic and was able to translate the lessons to them. And you know, this is one of the last people you'd expect to convert to Christianity, let alone the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I remember the expression of this man, uh, the father, when he got baptized. He threw his arms in the air and said in Arabic, praise God. And it was just, it was amazing because, you know, I was still surprised that the day he was being baptized, like, look at this, you know, this, this man looks so foreign, uh, so different from my culture and what I'd expect the cookie cutter mold of a convert would be. Yet here he is being baptized, receiving the grace of God. So that was an amazing experience. Another one is Alma the Younger from the Book of Mormon. He was, yeah, his father was Alma, a righteous man, a prophet. So you might expect his son is a good candidate for being a convert as well. Well, not so much in his young years. He was a, quite the rebel, and he went around trying to destroy the church. And so I'm sure lots of people thought, oh, you, you heard of Alma the Younger? Yeah, he, he has some interesting ideas. He was teaching us that it's okay to be immoral or to steal or do this. I don't know exactly what he was teaching. But the point is that at some point in his life, he seemed to be going in the opposite direction of God, yet he did a complete 180 as a response of his father's prayers, I'm sure his mother's prayers, and many others who worked in his life, uh, but ended up being converted, so never judge the circumstances. Another one, which I, I really like, is uh, Gary Miller, who has the Narrowgate podcast. He's someone that I really like. He uh, has a great podcast going there, and I appreciate all the, all the work that he does, but he started out as an independent fundamentalist Baptist preacher. Uh, he lives in Texas, so I served my mission in Texas, and I, I kind of get the idea. You know, a lot of times Baptists have, <laughs> they're kind of one of the sects of Christianity that sometimes gets pretty anti, uh, I would say anti-Mormon, but we're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, uh, yeah, they can be pretty antagonistic, and there are some fundamental differences, of course. Um, but yeah, for sure, a Baptist preacher, you wouldn't expect to be a candidate for a conversion, right? Yet... He stumbled upon an audiobook of the Book of Mormon, and you can hear his testimony. Maybe I'll put a link in the description. But uh, yeah, amazing man. I really appreciate what he has to say in his testimony that he shares. But again, someone you wouldn't expect, probably, using your own judgment. 
Uh, we also have the story of Lamoni from the Book of Mormon. Lamoni was a Lamanite king. His father was the main head honcho of the Lamanites. I guess they had some royal hierarchy where there were lower kings and a higher king. Anyway, he was converted by Ammon, uh, one of the sons of Mosiah, who also had a conversion. And, you know, Lamoni was... I, I, if we, we probably don't understand the full relationship uh, between the Nephites and the Lamanites, but from what we can tell, they hated each other. They had been in war constantly and perpetually, and it, it seemed like the Nephites thought the Lamanites were just lazy, idolatrous, and just delighted in murder and bloodshed. And the Lamanites probably didn't think too nicely of the Nephites as well. Anyway, these Nephites venture into the Lamanite territory, and Ammon, one of them, converts the one of the kings of the Lamanites. And then when Lamoni is converted, they go on, and his father, the main king of the Lamanites, becomes converted, which is just amazing. I mean, the, there's no story that you could think could be more surprising than that, right? Well, there's also the story of Saul, or Paul, from the New Testament. He was a well-educated man who spoke multiple languages. He had a unique citizenship, as I understand. I don't know a ton about him, but anyway, just a quite a combination of attributes for an early Christian to have. And in fact, before he was converted, he went around and persecuted and even promoted the killing of converts to Christianity. And he did this in the name of trying to be, you know, reverence and honor God. He was supposedly thinking what he was doing was right, but he had a harsh 180 turn when he converted. Um, another great example of a convert is C.S. Lewis. So he's, his backstory is he was an atheist, and he's well-educated too. I mean, this guy, he, he was a professor at, later in his life. I don't know if he was at the time before his conversion, but this is a well-educated guy, and he kind of hopped on the bandwagon of the late romantic era where you know they had this new new way of thinking uh you know they thought they figured out everything scientists and stuff and they became really material and uh really denouncing a lot of the christian and religious thought and so you know he kind of mocked christianity as one of those other cliche mythological tells of the resurrection he's like yeah that's appeared in lots of other stories but after talking with his good friend john tolkien who wrote lord of the rings uh he got a new perspective and began a conversion process that would end in him becoming a great and prominent christian theologian and author and professor and he's written many books that have contributed to people's faith including the book mere christianity and he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia with a lot of Christian rich symbolism there. So, you know, you never can really judge whether a person's ready or not for the gospel. And I think we should measure our success by how much we can share and to how many people we can reach or, you know, when we're being a light rather than by how many people end up being converted. Because that's a, a metric that doesn't really express what our duty is, I believe. So as a uh, Paul says in Acts, well, I guess I don't think this is Paul, but what is that? Luke, I think, who wrote Acts? Sorry if I'm wrong. Someone can correct me. Anyway, I like how the message uh, Bible puts it. It says in Acts 10, 34 through 35, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. 
If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. That's pretty simple, right? Like, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. If you want God, he's ready for you. And even if you, you know, you don't think you want God, you might still have a conversion process because it's uh, from those examples I told above that has happened. So I want to ask you guys, for those people that I named above, for just a few of them, some of them um, had people hold up their light to them. Some of them were converted by none other than Jesus Christ, like Saul or Paul. Well, what if you were the person who was holding up your light to these people? Would you question whether they were ready to receive the light? If you're, you know, a friend of C.S. Lewis, this educated atheist guy, would you go on and share your perspective of Christianity and offer something with the hope that he could one day convert and experience the light and testimony you have? I know it's hard to do this. It's hard for me too, but it can definitely happen. And again, I'll reiterate, our job is to share, to be lights. Our job isn't to necessarily, you know, convert everyone. That's, that's the Spirit's job. That's God's work. He's the judge there, and he knows their hearts. Anyway, um, so that's the message today, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I will have another one next week, and uh, happy Halloween, because that's what today is. <laughs>